use of imperatives in a particular situation or to confront a specified case. A. Here's the first thing you got to say. If you're in a specified case and you're giving a positive command, a positive command meaning I'm saying get out of the chair, put the pen down. I'm not saying don't do this or don't do that. In a positive command, point number one, focus on the action or ARIS forms are normal in this context. Fully 72% of all New Testament specified case imperatives are ARIS. How do I know that? I counted every stinking one. <laughs> so three quarters, three quarters of specified case commands are ARIS. Now that means that aorist is definitely default mode. That's three out of four. So on the qualifier, we should. <laughs> yeah, you might want to remember that. All right. Now, when do you have the other 28%, the present? Well, they're all in instances that we have talked about before. And without looking at the morphology or anything, just look what I say under 2A. Demands for continual activity. Demands for repeated activity. C, demands that are emphatic. D, demands that signal an action to commence, to begin to do something. And then finally E, demands that use certain verbs. So in other words, if you just look at the meanings there, those are all things we did with the imperfect, right? Continuous action, repeated action, emphatic, I did do it. Um, uh, and uh, beginning, he began to do something. So in actual fact, let me just uh, do a little digression here. As I was working with the imperative, it dawned on me, like two years into this, it dawned on me that all the stuff I was finding with the imperative was parallel to the imperfect. See? It dawned on me, hey... When you look at the so-called present imperative, it seems to be repeated action, or you're emphatic with it, or you want it to begin, to be commence. And you know what? That's all the stuff people said about the imperfect. Say, maybe it's a stem issue. It's not an imperative issue. See? So all the stuff we have talked about since chapter 9, all the stuff on focus on the action, focus on connection and aspect and all that. This was all actually developed backwards by me. It all <laughs> flowed out of my imperative work. And I realized, you know what? What's true of the imperative is also true of the rest of the stuff in the Greek language. So I first went from the imperative to the infinitive. And I saw, hey, infinitives do the same thing as the imperatives do. That's really interesting. And then subjunctive. Yeah, mostly they're aorists. Three quarters of them are aorists. Some are presents. When are they? Well, begin to do action, continually do action, and so on. And then, then it kind of occurred to me, whoa, this is the same stuff that's going on in the imperfect. So 30, historically, if I may put it that way, Historically, aspect theory for this book developed 
starting in chapter 32, and then kind of going back to 16 and 28, and then finally back to chapter 9. So um, it had great, the work had great ramifications for my understanding of the whole Greek language. Let's put it that way. And um, uh, uh, points on page 219, point two there, the present are abnormal in this specified context, usually focusing upon some special connection between the doer and the action, fine. So continual, repeated, emphatic, signaling an action to commence, and so forth. Uh, that is all, I, I think, very documentable. Now, the tricky thing about this is at the foot of the page, B. Negative commands. Now, what do we mean, first of all, by negative commands? By negative commands, we mean telling somebody not to do something. So don't look at me like that. Don't get out of the chair. Don't go over to the dean of students' office. Those are negative commands. What I have here in paragraph B had been seen by people since the late 19th century. And that is this, <clears throat> that you use may plus a present imperative to, you, to prohibit an action already uh, engaged in. So for example, if I say this, don't keep reading, don't read on, don't look at me like that, all right? Don't sit there just like that. That's all may plus the present imperative, so this would be like this, may plus lipet. Stop leaving that stuff behind like you're doing. Stop it. Now here's the oddity, and this is what Gibbs was trying to give you a little bit of a feel for in chapter 28. Turn the page. May plus the focus on the action, or the aorist, is used to prohibit the commencing of an action. So, look up at me. So if I were to do this, I would say like this. Don't get out of that chair. Well, you're not trying to, but that's prohibiting a future action. Okay? Don't look down again at that book. Well, you're not looking down again. You're looking at me. Don't go over to the dean's office while well, you're sitting there. You're not going there. That's may plus the aorist. But get this point in your mind. It's a total oddity in Greek. It doesn't use may plus the aorist imperative. And there have been a lot of conundra about this. Why is this? It is may plus the aorist subjunctive. So if I would say this. Don't leave the cloak behind. I gotta say, me lipes, not me lippe. Me lipes, not me lippe. Not me lippe. Are there any exceptions to this in the New Testament? To what? To the fact that you use me plus the aorist subjunctive for a negative imperative, not may, here, let me put this up. This would be may plus the aorist imperative. That's not what Greek does. Say, may 
plus the aorist imperative. Instead, they do this. Are there any uh, uh, exceptions to that? Of course there are, and how many are there? <laughs> One for each of us. Yeah. Okay. There are precisely 11. And, and uh, uh, there are two in the Sermon on the Mount, and then there are a couple in Jesus' apocalyptic discourse in, uh, in Matthew 24, uh, and then the parallels to those in Mark and Luke. But uh, uh, this is exceedingly rare that this rule is broken. It is so interesting. Uh, may plus the present imperative is the way you do a negative command. May plus the aorist subjunctive is the way you do a negative command with the aorist stem, not may plus the aorist imperative. So look at the forms I have on the board. This is correct. May plus the aorist imperative, but this is, so I'll put a check there. This is correct with the subjunctive, not with this one, not with that one. And that's why that was even introduced in chapter 28, see, because you can't do plus the may, a may plus the aorist imperative. But I think pedagogically, I'm going to change this in the book in the next edition and just kind of forget to talk about that and put it put it back into, in, into this chapter here. Yes? Um, other than the natural development of the Greek language, two questions. Is there a reason why they use the subjunctive, and is there a difference in the meaning? Well, he said it because of the natural development. He said other than that. So you got to just repeat it to people who do that. Uh, no, there is not. Okay. There is not. Now, <clears throat> I would think in the cases in Matthew 24, where he says, let him who is on the housetop not come down to take his cloak. It's probably emphatic. It's like saying, I don't ever want you to do that know-how. You know, you start using wrong grammar to make a point. So that's probably one of it. The other one in the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, uh, which is interesting, let your right hand not know what your left hand is doing. Now, I don't know why somehow, I, I don't know why that would be so emphatic. You know, I'm not sure what to tell you about that. But almost nobody notices this kind of anomaly here. Uh, but uh, there are only very few of them. It's strange how much that was not, uh, not broken. I, I, I want to go on here, guys. Uh, we'll take your questions later. Uh, now. This next part is very important. What I have shown you here about these commands, and especially about the negative commands, this means don't continue on, this means don't start it, only applies in specified cases. When we are in policy situations, no longer applies. And this is one of the reasons why the great New Testament scholar at Cambridge, C.F.D. Mole, who was there when I was there, and I did a lot of work with him, said in his idiom book of New Testament Greek that 
something like 40% of the cases of the imperative seem to be non-explicable, non-understandable, according to current theories of how the language works. That's why I took up the topic. I thought, well, that's a good challenge. Kind of see, <laughs> see why that would be. And a lot of it revolves around precisely the point that I'm making right now. That if you do not, um, <clears throat> if you do not make the distinction between specified case and policy command, you keep getting screwed up because there are so many of these examples where clearly it doesn't mean stop it. So in a policy situation, what's, what's the case then? You were on page 219. Remember 219 to the top of 20? And this was all about the, the commands of specified case. Let's just review this before I have you turn the page. Top of page 219. 72% of all positive commands are heiress. The presence have whoop-de-doo. That's the simplest way to say it, OK? Presence have whoop-de-doo, heiress don't. Negative commands, the may plus the aorist imperative says stop it. Let me put this up here. Stop it. This says, next page at the top, don't start it. Now, look at paragraph 2 on page 220. Paragraph 2, page 220. Most authors use either present or aorist forms consistently in their policy commands. That is to say, either they use the present stem or they use the aorist stem for all of their long-standing policy commands. As a result, there is no distinction like this in negative commands. Here's another way to put it. In policy commands, you're thinking of always and never. Always walk in the ways of the Lord. Never do the work of Satan. All right? I'm going to repeat this. If it's a policy command, the positive commands are going to be always, and the negative commands will be never. So you're not going to have 72% being aorist, the others doing some whoop-de-doo. In the negative, one says stop it, the other says don't start it. Uh-uh, it's simpler than that. It's just always and never. Now, I reached this point principally for this reason. In policy commands, there seem to be way too many present imperatives. There seem to be way too many present stems used. That is to say, either you were putting in all kinds of whoop-de-doo all the time, or you kept saying, stop it, stop it, stop it, and the people weren't doing it. So it occurred to me that this was really the case. 
If they were using a present stem for a policy command, they were just connecting the action to the person. Say, always do that. Or never do that. Always do it, never do it. I'm not commenting whether you ought to begin to, whether you should ought to stop it or something, but it's just always do it, never do it, depending on whether it's positive or it's negative. Now, look what I say here under 2A. Most authors, and especially encompassing Paul, Luke, and John, which are huge amounts of the New Testament, right? Paul has all the letters, Luke has Acts as well as uh, Luke, and John has the epistles as well as the Gospel and the book of Revelation. They normally use the present forms for policy commands or imperatives. So, most authors, when they get into policy command mode, you're going to see a string of present stems. It'll be present imperative for positive, may plus the present imperative for negative. And you translate it as always and never. B. A few authors use aorist forms for policy imperatives and prohibitions. In particular, 1 Peter and Matthew. And in both of these books, this has been an untold source of problems for commentators. They can't figure, especially in 1 Peter, why there are all of these aorist imperatives and they seem to be, to, to people, like specified case. Answer is, because Peter has chosen by policy to use aorist stems throughout for his policy commands. And Matthew does that principally as well. Now, what might be the difference? Why might a person choose a present stem for policy commands as opposed to an aorist stem for policy commands? Well, I discussed this quite a lot in the dissertation, but here's sort of the distilled answer. If you are wanting to attach the command to the person and make it a policy for him, you use the present stem. It connects the command to the person. If, however, you are viewing those commands a little bit more abstractly and in a detached manner, not really just applicable to you guys, but to anybody, then you use the heirs. So, for example, if somebody were to say something like this, um, I mean, this is a bad example in our context, but I'll use it. Let's just say that Joel wanted to join the Masonic Lodge. All right? And, uh, and he said something like, well, if you join the lodge, then what does a person have to do? And you've got a set of rules. Don't give away the secrets. Always be kind to your fellow lodge members, yada, yada, yada. All right? But those are sort of the rules of the organization. They're not just rules for you. 